It is the Lockdown Bengals Podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans? Happy Thursday. Happy Friday. Welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. The last one with just me before we finally get Joe Goodberry back from his family vacation down in Disney where he's enjoying Star Wars nerding out with his family. Hope he's having a good time down there. Joe, if you're listening, I'm looking forward to your return to the podcast on Sunday after the Battle for Ohio. Today, we're going to take a mailbag for the second two segments of the show. Got a bunch of good questions in from the good listeners of the show. And I want to thank those of you that sent us your Spotify year in review podcast summaries showing just how much you've listened to the Locked on Bengals podcast. I tweeted this the other day, but since I know not all of our listeners follow me, we're at 880,000 downloads on the year. Joe and I took over the podcast in February. The Bengals are 0-11. I just can't imagine how much support we would be seeing in the community if this team was a little bit better and if we had been going for the whole year. We're going to almost get to a million downloads anyway. I think we're going to end up just a little bit short here with 26 days left in the year, 25 days left in the year, depending on when you're listening. But we really do appreciate your patronage, your listens, and I wanted to take a moment to thank you all for listening. Today, for the beginning of the show, I'm going to talk a little bit about the attendance and just how bad the Bengals' attendance has been this year. And then we're going to take a look at the injury report, the news and notes there. Then we'll get into your questions. But I do want to also just call out again the Epic Miami Hotel. Make sure you go check out the Locked On Bengals Twitter page. Take yourself a little break. Go down to Miami. Watch a game in a very warm and fun place to be. So without further ado, though, let's get into... The first part of the show. The Cincinnati Enquirer's Tyler Dragon tweeted on December 1st during the game that the attendance at that Jets-Bengals game was announced at just 39,804. The first time the Bengals have been below 40,000 fans announced at a game since 1995 when on Christmas Eve only 34,568 fans attended the game. Incidentally, the Bengals won both of those games, but... As you can imagine, in the middle of the 90s and here late in 2019 in a very bad year for the Bengals, nobody's going to those games. So you might wonder, well, if they've sold the least tickets to a game that they've sold since 1995, how are they looking all year? I took a look at the attendance numbers and things are looking pretty bleak for the Bengals in this regard. And you wonder how that might speak to Mike Brown and the rest of ownership. First, let's take a look at 2018. The Bengals in 2018 sold just 77.5% of the eligible tickets that they could have sold in what was generally seen as a lost season. That was enough to get Mike Brown to fire Marvin Lewis. Only two teams had worse attendance than the Bengals last year, and that was the Los Angeles Chargers and the ball club in Washington, which also, as you might imagine, wasn't very good last year. A year before that, in 2017, the Bengals sold 81.3% of their tickets, 
30th in the NFL, but better than 77%. And in 2016, the Bengals were respectable at 92.4% of the tickets that they could have sold, sold 26th in the NFL. That 92% mark had been about par for the course for the Bengals for the better part of the decade from the late 2008 until just recently. But this year, it is embarrassing for the Brown family. The Bengals are selling just 69.3% of their tickets this year. Easily the worst in the NFL, 9% worse than Tampa Bay. They've only played four home games, but they're selling out 78.3% of their tickets. You have to get all the way down to ninth in the NFL before a team goes below 100%. That's Houston at 99.7. They're 10th in the NFL. You go down to 29 before you see a team below 90% capacity. Pittsburgh's 28th at 90.5%. Jacksonville at 89.5%. So the Bengals being at 69%, that's 21% behind Pittsburgh at 28. The gap between 1 to 31 is just 24%. The gap from 28 to 32, 21%. Gives you just an idea of just how extraordinarily poorly the Bengals have done at selling tickets this year. You compare it to Tampa and Jacksonville, two Florida teams, Florida Neither of them have had much success lately, and Florida teams are notorious, at least in media narrative, for not being able to sell tickets to sporting events. And then Washington, another perennial seller dweller down there at 30. So you wonder, if the dip below 80% was enough to motivate Mike Brown to move on from Marvin Lewis, what might a dip below 70% do if the Bengals finish the season there? They have two more home games, and the trend for attendance is not positive, although their last game in Paul Bauer Stadium might feature a number of Browns fans if the Browns manage to keep their fledgling playoff hopes alive. If you're like me, you would hope that this sort of abysmal record for attendance leads to substantial changes to improve the team's approach to trying to win football games. That means spending in free agency, hiring an NFL-sized scouting department, both for internal scouting, self-scouting, and for college scouting, and a number of other changes that could improve the fan experience. Could be a ring of honor, could be stadium improvements, could be a practice bubble, anything to show the fans that there's a commitment to winning in Cincinnati. Speaking of winning, a quick look at the injury report for this week's game. Week 14, the Bengals going up to Cleveland. Darquez Denard returned from his veteran rest day. He was a full participant in practice. And five guys that were limited yesterday were full goes today. Seathan Carter, Tyler Eifert, Nick Vigil, Sean Williams, Brandon Wilson, all full participants in practice. They will all play. Sam Hubbard again missed a practice, but he is expected to play. And if you're wondering about A.J. Green, it sounds like he did some work in cleats on the rehab field. And that's a positive sign for him. On the Brown side of things, the only DNP from yesterday that continued to not practice today is cornerback Robert Jackson. Chris Hubbard came back from his DNP and was a limited participant in practice. Same for J.C. Treader, the Brown starting center, goes from a didn't practice to a limited practice. Baker Mayfield gets upgraded from limited to full. Jarvis Landry remains limited along with Odell Beckham, Grady Williams, Olivier Vernon, and several other impact players for the Browns. So the Browns will be coming into this game pretty banged up, and the Bengals look to be getting healthy here for the home stretch. We'll have to see how that plays out in a game that the Browns are still heavily favored in, but some fans think the Bengals might sneak out. And with those notes, I'm ready to get into questions in just a minute. All right, so we've got a good list of questions today. We'll see how many I can get through. And we're going to start with Logie B513, who's been sitting with the Bengals captain, I've noticed. 
with some of the shots on TV and some of his own photos, you can go check out Logie on Twitter at Logie513. He's a pretty good super fan. He's doing some writing of his own. I know he's out there taking pictures. Really appreciate Logie. Met him when I was down at Paul Brown Stadium earlier this year. And Logie asks this week, how far can Tua fall? And it's interesting that we're picking today to talk about this, right? Because Tua started his rehab today. It sounds like he's already potentially, potentially, and this could just be all talk, ahead of schedule. The folks he was working with down at the rehab facility in Alabama said that he has an impressive range of motion already when working against resistance in the hip. So that is all great news for Tua. Now, how far can he fall? Well, if he can't work out, then potentially I would say toward the latter part of round one because I think that there's too much on tape. He has too good of a track record to get that deep. But, I mean, you're looking at a team like Green Bay who's done this before with Aaron Rodgers could snag him up easily. On the other hand, if he does throw and if he does do any sort of working out and if he's recovering quickly from this hip injury, if he's passing medicals with team doctors well, then I think that he's still a top five pick. And I still haven't been moved off him for Joe Burrow, despite how good Joe Burrow has been, just because I think Tua can be that good. You look at his deep accuracy, it is incredibly special. His efficiency still very good. Propensity to avoid the big mistake, but make the big play really good. Subtle manipulation of the pocket, incredibly quick release, creative arm angles, checks really all the boxes except for durability. And so those are the questions that he still has to answer. Anything answering the question, how far can Tua fall right now is just incredibly speculative. And also he might go back to school. Sounds like he's not decided there. Next question comes from Midwest Bias RT. Who are your top five free agent targets this offseason? And it is a rich class of free agents at several positions, so let's talk about this a little bit. I'm only going to look at unrestricted free agents because I don't think the Bengals are the type of team that's going to want to give up draft pick compensation for anybody. So starting at the top, offensive tackle Anthony Costanzo. I expect the Colts will probably try to retain him. He's a 32-year-old left tackle, has been really solid for the Colts, will be an upgrade for the Bengals. Say he can move to right tackle, or maybe Jonah Williams plays right tackle. Either of those are possibilities. That's where I'm starting. Anthony Costanzo is one guy. The other tackle that I want to talk about for free agency There's a few, really. You could talk about Brian Bulaga, 31 years old, playing right tackle for the Packers. Should be a little bit cheaper, but it's been solid. Uh, When you get into the young guys, it gets a little bit thinner. Coming off his rookie contract is Jack Conklin from Tennessee, and he would be an instant upgrade at the right tackle position. He's been solid this year, according to Pro Football Focus. A decent enough run blocker in that run-heavy attack down there in Tennessee, featuring Derrick Henry, Just a solid player all around. Missed some snaps in 2018. Has been healthy this year in his rookie year and second year in the the league. Above average to very good. So Conklin would be the guy I'm looking at for guys coming off their first contract at tackle. An offensive guard would be Brandon Scherf. He will be highly sought after. According to Spotrack, his market value they estimate is going to be a $12.4 million annual average salary. A four-year deal for $50 million is what they think is likely to happen for Brandon Scherf. They're comparing him to recent free agent Zach Martin, who had a $14 million average annual salary at 27. 
Cordy Glenn, who got a five-year, $60 million deal. He now plays for the Bengals, of course. Andrew Norville got five years, $66 million, average annual 13.3. Trey Turner, four years, 45, average annual 11.25. So they're guessing that he's going to be in the 12.4 to $13.3 million range. And if that happens, I think that that is a fair deal for a very good guard. The other obvious position to talk about is linebacker. And I've talked about Corey Littleton on the podcast and on Twitter before. He is still a good target, in my opinion. He's a really good cover linebacker from L.A. He's an unrestricted free agent. I expect that there will be a lot of interest in him. He's probably the best young off-ball linebacker that will be available. You could also look at some discount guys like Darren Lee, who went to Kansas City on a one-year deal. Um, looking at the rest of the list at linebacker, it's pretty thin. Nobody terribly exciting, especially when you look at guys that are 28 and younger. Patrick Owuso from Baltimore, who's bounced back a little bit late in the year, is also an unrestricted free agent. But if he continues his solid play of late, he's really the only linebacker on that team. You got to expect that he'll be retained in Baltimore. Shaquille Barrett, who the Bengals tried to sign and pulled the offer apparently at the last minute as a free agent again this year, he's earned a boatload of money. I think that he, with his 15 sacks on a $4 million deal, is due for a huge raise. I don't think that he'll be on the Bengals' radar at this point. You just wish they would have got that done last year. So if I'm the Bengals, I'm focused. I don't know if I get to five, but definitely on Corey Littleton, Brandon Scherf, Jack Conklin. Those are the guys that I'm looking at. Solid offensive line upgrades, solid game-changing kind of linebackers that you can trust a little bit out there. Linebackers are always going to be up and down, but Littleton had a really good start to the season and has a skill set that could play. He might end up getting a little bit overpaid because he is a bit of a unique skill set available on the free agent market this year. He has a coverage grade from PFF at 88, tackling grade of 90. I mean, what more can you ask for? His run defense grade isn't great, but that sounds ideal for this Bengals team that badly needs some coverage and athleticism at the second level. Littleton was a undrafted free agent in 2016 from Washington, and that is somebody that in his contract here has taken a huge leap forward and is somebody that I would really be after if on the Bengals, along with one of Scherf to solidify an offensive guard position for you. And Jack Conklin will go a long way in improving that right tackle spot. Our next question comes from Sabatio 42 blue who starts a quarterback in week one of 2020 have a fun prediction. And this goes along with a couple of the questions that we're about to talk about. Assuming a quarterback is taken at one, what would you prefer to do with Dalton? This comes from John Momberg trade Dalton for a second or, or sorry, for a third or fourth round pick or try to restructure his deal. So first we'll start with the prediction for quarterback at week one right now with the Bengals drafting first overall is easily Joe Burrow for me. He's a pro-ready prospect if you can get the offense set up such that it plays to his strengths. What would I prefer to do with Dalton? Absolutely trade him. Take whatever you can get for him. Paul Danner Jr. did a great piece on The Athletic on this today. You can go look at that one for recent comparables. Just last year, Ryan Danahill traded for a fourth and some window dressing from the Dolphins to the Titans. I think you could see something similar for the for, for Dalton. I don't think you're going to get much more than a fourth, maybe a fourth and a fifth, 
But if somebody is willing to offer you a third, and there are many quarterbacks that will be available this offseason potentially, many quarterbacks hitting free agency that need to be retained, may retire in the case of Drew Brees and Tom Brady, or may shock us and go to other teams. So Dalton might not be a terribly hot commodity, but somebody might want him. I think the time to move him was at the trade deadline to a team like Probably not Carolina at that point. I think Carolina could be a fit going forward. Talked about that with James yesterday, but definitely the Bears, right? That's the easy, obvious fit. I'm not very interested in keeping Dalton, even even if he's restructured. I just don't see that being a good use of cap space. And I also don't know why he would choose to restructure. I think that he can go make starter money somewhere else. Just, I think his time is done in Cincinnati. And speaking of free agents, John also asks... In your opinion, does Nick Vigil have a future in the club's 2020 plans? It seems like extending him would be a very Bengals thing to do. Vigil is an interesting player because I don't. I think he's gone, but just from some of the conversations I've had with beat writers, I think he's turned the corner and is playing really well the last few weeks. At least four out of the last five weeks, he's been really solid, if not good. And if that is a sign of things to come as Lou Anarumo kind of settles in and figures out what he wants from this defense. And I don't think it hurts to bring Vigil back, but I don't think that he's gone. Next question comes from Grill at Grillmeister. Where does Dalton land next offseason if he's not a Bengal? Does he go to Denver? Does he go to the Bears? I don't think Denver's on the table because I think Drew Locke is playing for them now and he's going to finish out the season there. The Bears certainly are an option. But there are a lot of teams that could need a quarterback, and there are a lot of teams hitting free agency like I was just talking about. So let's go through the list. So certainly some of these guys might retire, but Drew Brees, unrestricted free agent, he's 41. Tom Brady, 43, he's an unrestricted free agent. Eli Manning, almost certainly going to retire, he's a UFA. Philip Rivers, unrestricted free agent, another one that could retire. But Teddy Bridgewater is a guy who's an unrestricted free agent who you expect someone will probably pay him starter money after his success in New Orleans this year. Jameis Winston, just 26. He's an unrestricted free agent. Doesn't look like he'll be going back to Tampa Bay, but we'll have to watch that one. Marcus Mariota, somebody might take a chance. He's just 26 as well, unrestricted free agent. And then their journeyman after that, Case Keenum, Chase Daniel. I don't expect any of those guys to be competing for starting jobs, but you look at Andy Dalton, and is Andy Dalton more attractive than Bridgewater, Winston, Mariota? I'm not sure he really is. But if those guys are gone and if any of the aforementioned elder elites retire, maybe there's a spot for Dalton to land. And I really like Carolina for him. I don't think that's where he will end up. I just think it's a good fit with their perimeter weapons. Greg Olson's there if he can stay healthy. They've got an elite running game. Just need to do a little bit of work on that offensive line. And I think Dalton could be a good bridger quarterback for them that could get them back into the playoffs. Next question comes from Cincy Cat. We've got a lot of questions here on Andy Dalton. I think this might be the last one, but we'll see if that remains true. He asks, do you believe the Bengals can start an inferno in Andy Dalton and use a first-round pick for Chase Young? And would it be conceivable to trade our picks from 2021 and 2022 to get an extra first-round pick this year and take both? We would need the second pick of the first round as well. I think no to both of these questions. I think Andy Dalton's time in Cincinnati is done and he's playing for his next team right now. Of course, they could prove us wrong and they could make a bad choice here if they get lucky and win some games, but I don't think that Andy Dalton has changed at all. I think he's exactly who we think he is and I think that they need a quarterback. As far as trading picks in 21 and 22, 
This is not Mike Brown's MO, and I think it's ill-advised as well. They're going to need as many picks as they can get because there are a lot more holes on this team than just elite pass rusher and elite quarterback. I have a bunch more questions here. A few of you asked about John Ross. Have somebody that's asked about the podcast. Got a good question about what if the Bengals do trade back? What might they do? We'll get to all those in just a minute, but I do have to tell you right now about a sweet deal going on with my bookie. Since you guys all know football well, you all listen to football podcasts, especially those of you that sent us those Spotify screenshots, you're listening to thousands of hours of people talking about football and you are more informed than anyone else out there. You want to turn that into money? Go over to mybookie.ag and use promo code LOCKEDON to activate a sweet offer to get a 50% match on your first deposit up to $1,000, meaning if you put in $2,000, you'll get $1,000 in free money to play with. You can put all that football knowledge to good use. Again, that's mybookie.ag, promo code LOCKEDON to activate a 50% match on your first deposit. That's mybookie where you play, you win, and you get paid. All right, so you got your sports bets in, and I'm back into questions. Jack Wants or Wants wants to know: Do you support the Bengals taking the fifth year option for John Ross, and they will have until May next year to decide on this? So I think this is largely going to depend on the draft, on free agency. Maybe they get one of these receivers in a really deep class. There are just talent at the wide receiver position, well into the third round. So. I am going to be very curious to see how they approach this one. That's like $14 million, I think, for a guy who's had a really hard time staying healthy. I have a hard time committing that kind of money at that position, considering what they've done without John Ross, the way this team seems to be able to make things happen with wide receiver, regardless of the talent level, and with the quarterback potentially getting better, the Bengals trying to upgrade the offensive line. It's just a lot of money for Ross. I think that's more than he would get if they just extended him, and I don't think they had that option because he was a first-round pick, right? And since he was a top-10 player, that fifth-year option becomes even more expensive. So you're talking $15 million, $14 million for one year of John Ross. If they don't plan to spend that money anywhere else, sure, but I think that that money could be better spent on Corey Littleton, Brandon Scherf, Jack Conklin. You get all three of those guys in, and that means potentially pruning some other roster spots, namely... Bobby Hart, uh, maybe Drake Kirkpatrick, maybe they go sign a corner as well, draft a corner, whatever it is. Maybe Darius Phillips steps up. Then they have a ton of money to play with, and there could be enough there for John Ross as well. But if they end up taking that fifth-year option on John Ross and using that as an excuse to not play in free agency, I will be very unimpressed. Next question comes from Maddie Wayne, a longtime listener and asker of questions on the podcast. He asked me to tell you my journey with Joe Goodberry and the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Matt, I might wait to really get into this one until Joe gets back. I'll just tell you my side of the story real quick. Joe was talking about potentially taking over the podcast from James back in January, maybe late December last year. And he was worried that, you know, there are days that he works nights and isn't able to record. There's this vacation he's on right now in Florida. He is not able to record this week. And he said, I can't do this unless I've got somebody to share it with. And our original plan was going to be mostly to alternate. And we weren't going to necessarily work together a ton. But the way it's gone is we've had a lot of fun recording together. We find that the conversational podcasts are just easier to do. I can tell you that I'm tired this week after recording five episodes in a row. And I brought in guests because just doing these by yourself is is hard. I mean, I'm just sitting here at my desk 
right, in my home, talking into a microphone, reading questions off of Twitter, and it's great because this is somewhat interactive, right? But if I'm just talking about things that are happening, it gets a lot harder. So I really do appreciate that Joe and I are able to do a lot of episodes together. We do have a bit of a natural split of work as well. Joe does also do his writing for The Athletic, uh, but I do handle a lot of our audio editing. I get this stuff loaded on to the Megaphone client. I handle some of our advertising stuff, and Joe has just the massive following, right? So he brings in a lot of our listeners, I think, and has been responsible for the growth of the podcast. And I really appreciate everybody that continues to listen when Joe is away. That does mean a lot to me. But uh, you, you look at the numbers from back when Joe was a guest on the podcast, when James was running things, and then when we took over, and there's just been this massive growth in our community. And so I thank you all for that. And I really attribute a lot of the success we've had to Joe's following and Joe's expertise and just the brand that he's built for himself. And I'm really happy to have the opportunity to work with him because Joe and I have been working on projects together for years. And this is the most expansive and the most fun and the most lucrative for me personally. So it has been a very fun ride. Next question back into football comes from Sean Fitzgerald. Should we be happy that Devin White didn't fall to the Bengals in the draft for all the complaining about Pratt not doing well? He's just a couple points below White when it comes to PFF grades. I think this will be something that we need to watch, right, going forward throughout the careers of these two guys because White does have more athleticism. He has more of a pedigree. So while we expect there to be a learning curve at the linebacking position, I I think that Devin White still has a higher ceiling a higher chance of being a good NFL linebacker in the future if he can learn things I think that the organization he landed with maybe isn't the best to learn with but I also don't know much about what's going on down in Tampa except for that they're not a terribly good team right now so we'll see how Devin White's career goes we'll continue to compare him going forward but Devin Bush is a guy that looks like he will be a good player the one the, the linebacker that Pittsburgh traded up for. I'm not sure that the Bengals would have taken Bush over a player like Jonah Williams because Jonah was the best tackle in the draft, right? And that's a need for the Bengals and a very good player to value position. And he falls all the way to 11. So I think they might take Jonah Williams anyway. I'm personally pretty happy with the pick and I look forward to Jonah's career in Cincinnati. It just sucks that we didn't get his rookie year, right? Because with the way the CBA is, getting those rookie contracts is just a huge market efficiency. Next question comes from Brandon Kuhn, a longtime listener and asker of questions on the podcast. He asks, say the Bengals trade the first overall pick to the Dolphins for all three of their first round picks and a third round pick. Who do you hypothetically pick with those selections, players or positions? So generally here, I'm looking for a quarterback with Miami's first pick and then I'm looking for BPA, which is probably quarterback at number three anyway at their their later picks, which both come in the 20s, just a few picks apart. So I did a few mock drafts in the mock draft machine on the draft network today to see what might happen. And here are what the different combinations of players were. The first of them, Joe Burrow falls to Miami's first pick. Great, we're happy. Say Miami trades up for Tua, and then you go, uh, you know, Chase Young, offensive tackle. The Bengals still get their quarterback potentially in Joe Burrow. Then I come back, I get Javon Kinlaw from South Carolina, defensive tackle with the second first round pick and LaVisca Chenault, the wide receiver from Colorado, just the best values on the board by far. And I think I'm relatively happy with that draft. The second one I go through, I 
get Chase Young. He falls all the way to four where the Dolphins pick, and the Dolphins could be picking anywhere from two to four. We don't really know yet. I think there are some more wins out there for these Tankathon teams. So to much of all of your Ohio State fans' joy, I get Chase Young all the way at four. Justin Herbert luckily falls all the way to me in the 20s. And then I finish out with Creed Humphrey, the interior offensive lineman, the, ta- the, the guard, sorry, from Oklahoma. Got to be pretty happy with that, right? You get a potential high ceiling quarterback, but Herbert has a lot to prove yet. You get the BPA for many of you and for many analysts in general in Chase Young. And Creed Humphrey solidifies the offensive line. So that's a nice little haul. The third one I did, I get Tua, who falls to me at four, where the Dolphins are currently picking. At 20-something, I get Dylan Moses, the all-star, and and really would have been the cream of the crop at linebacker in this class from Alabama. He tore his ACL earlier this year. So there are some questions there. Those are two injured players coming out of a program that's known to beat players up. And I go right back to it with the third first-round pick with Jedrick Wills, who some people have as a top overall tackle right now. So there is a lot of variance on Wills in these mock drafts. So say it's Alex Leatherwood instead, or whatever the best tackle is at that point. That's a pretty solid haul, right? If those guys can come back and be healthy, you've got to be really happy with the trio of Tua, Dylan Moses, and Jedrick Wills. The last one I did, I just could not find a quarterback. I could not find a linebacker. So I go straight offensive line, and this is the risk, right? So Tristan Wirfs, or whatever your best tackle is, first and number four, because say both quarterbacks are gone, uh, maybe maybe one of the quarterbacks is gone, you don't feel good about Tua um, and, and Chase Young and whoever your best tackle, Andrew Thomas, are gone. So then you go Tristan Wirfs, I come back and I get Beatas. I'm not sure how you say his name, the uh, Tyler Beatas, the consensus, I think, top center from Wisconsin. Billy Price looks like he's on the out, so I just go back to offensive line because at this point it's either that or a wide receiver, and then I come back and get Jedrick Wills because, again, I've missed on quarterback at this point. The defensive line talent isn't there, so I'm just taking the BPAs, and those are all offensive linemen, and that's the risk, right? So maybe one of those is a safety or a corner, but the risk of trading back is that you miss on your quarterback, you miss on your defensive linemen, you miss on the values, and you end up just going BPA, and it's just three offensive linemen. And that's great because that's a need for this team, but it's not very sexy. So is anyone really happy with that one? Personally, I'd be, I'd be thrilled to get Tua, Dylan Moses, and Jedrick Wills, but I also think that might be a little, little bit of a pipe dream if the Bengals do trade back because I think those players could be gone. Unfortunately, we're running out of time a little bit here, so I'm going to look at just a couple more questions. John Sheeran, who is a friend of the show over at CincyJungle.com, give him a follow if you don't follow him already. He's been on the show before, John underscore underscore Sheeran. You can win $1,000 if Randy Bullock can hit a 55-yard field goal for you. You can also win $100 if Andy Dalton can hit a garbage can 55 yards out. Which are you taking? So I looked, I looked at all the next gen stats of Andy Dalton's deepest air yards completions. And I think the deepest one I could find was somewhere around 50 yards. And that's in a game situation. So I think most quarterbacks can probably hit a garbage can from 55 yards away just because they're very good. But then you go look at those skills competitions and they're trying to hit targets 30 yards downfield and they're struggling. Randy Bullock has hit a 55 yard field goal in a game before. And if this is a practice setting, if it's in a dome, I'll take the higher payout, right? I think that this is maybe a little bit less likely, but a thousand bucks 
for Bullock to hit a 55-yarder, which he's actually done in a game-time situation before. I think it was his third year in the NFL. Or, or Andy Dalton hitting a garbage can for just 100 bucks. I'll take the kicker and the $1,000, and I'll try to get him in a dome to do it. There are a lot of really good questions left that I'm unfortunately not going to get to all of. I'll just take one last question from Analytic Reds fan because he's complimentary, and I want to read this compliment on the air and feel good about myself. He says, first of all, good job, great job rocking the podcast while Joe was gone. Second, is there any hope that the Bengals will actually clean house this offseason? I always have doubts when it comes to Mike Brown, so I'm scared of a half rebuild, keeping the vets, only signing one free agent, and making no trades. I mean, I think that's certainly a possibility, right? I don't think that they're really just going to fully run it back with the same roster they have right now, especially because as is, they have like $60 million to spend next offseason, and that's if they don't release any of their consequence-free contracts like Andy Dalton, right? Like if they release Andy Dalton, that's immediately up to 70 something million. And even if they give AJ Green $20 million a year, that's still $50 million that they have to play with. And it's not like they have any other super high dollar free agents to, to worry about. So yeah, I think that that's a reasonable fear. I think that you'll see some coaching shuffle, but maybe not as much as we might think. The one that we're all looking at, the one that everyone is looking at the closest as the offensive line coach just because of the baggage around Jim Turner. And the offensive line just hasn't played well this year either. They did get it together last week against the Jets and have one of their better performances of the year. Cordy Glenn has come back and played relatively well. Bobby Hart had his best game of the year. So you'll have to keep an eye on how things finish out. Lou Anarumo seems to have the defense playing better. Again, we'll have to keep an eye on how that finishes a year against really no great offenses, but they get Cleveland twice. That's a good enough offense. They get New England, who has struggled on offense this year, but you expect them to be good. And then they get Miami, who has not been good on offense this year, but just put up over 30 against the Eagles. So if the defense finishes a year strong, that staff might stay intact. I think Zach Taylor certainly has bought himself a second year, the way that that team has remained behind him. He's been a great leader. He just needs to figure it out uh, tactically, I think. And Brian Callahan, I think, is incredibly smart. So I would like to see those two guys stay. And the ones that... I think are on the hot seat for me if I'm making decisions are Lou Anarumo, who hasn't been able to keep the defense in sync all year, and Jim Turner, who just should have never been hired in the first place. And the easy replacement for Turner is Bill Callahan, Brian's dad, come over from Washington where he's the interim coach right now. And on defense, I mean, Lou Anarumo wasn't a first choice. Wouldn't surprise me at all if they go back to the well there. That's going to do it, though, for this episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Many of you And I mean, many of you had good questions that I saw that I would like to answer at some point and didn't get to today, but please do ask them again in the future going forward. We'll try to get back to some of these questions next week when Joe is back as well. And some of them, maybe I'll try to answer on Twitter, or maybe we've talked about in other, in other podcasts. So thank you for all the questions. Thank you all for coming along on this week without Joe for coming on this ride all season. I know it's been tough for you. It's been tough for us too, talking about this team every week. So again, we really do appreciate all the listens, all the interaction, all the support. And until Sunday, Bengals fans, have a good one.